This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. It's uh, Mike Missanelli, and you are listening to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, podcast number 62. For all the great folks who have been listening to it, we're up to 62 already and going strong. And we're doing this on a Friday, March 17th, which means we've got a lot to talk about. A lot happened this week. Uh, including the Philadelphia Eagles and the NCAA tournament and uh, Major League Baseball with the World Baseball Classic. And uh, today we're going to have a great interview with Doug Lambeau, who's one of the most interesting people you're ever going to be able to talk to. I hope it's a great interview. Uh, he, you can't help but do a great interview with him because he's an intellectual guy who knows everything about life and, and sports. And, and we're going to have a really good conversation with him. So that's coming up uh, in a little bit. Uh, of course, we are sponsored by the great people at Bed Rivers Casino. Uh, Bed Rivers, of course, now is a great time to uh, be in business with Bet Rivers because the NCAA tournament is going on and you can place all kinds of bets on the NCAA tournament. All you got to do is uh, download the Bet Rivers app. It's real easy. You pop it up on your phone, bing, you make your play uh, and you're out. And I made a couple plays today on my Bet Rivers app this morning. It's, it's funny because you get up in the morning and you go, What do they have for me today? And last night I didn't fare too well because I didn't bet Penn State. And that's a violation. I bet a couple other things. So Bet Rivers app is a great uh, place to get all your bets in. All right, let's let's uh, let's start with uh, what we call the top, and and then the top we go over, of course, the current sports issues that are going on that involve all of us. So let's start with the Eagles free agent situation. You know, it's funny when we started the free agent season, we're going, ah, they're going to lose this guy, they're going to lose that guy. It's really going to be tough for them to replace those guys. They got the patchwork again, and they lost their coordinators. All of a sudden, you look up, they really didn't lose anybody. So let, let's take a little inventory. You know, they lost somebody. They lost Miles Sanders, and that's fine. He goes to Carolina. They lost Dillard, who wasn't a starter. They lost Epps. All right, but they kept... Fletcher Cox, which is interesting. Short-term deal, one-year deal, like 10 mil. They had Brandon Graham back on board. Sometimes they get the, involved in the sentimentality of players. I don't know how much either of those guys are going to help them, but they didn't cost a lot, so I guess I'm okay with that. They came up big in the secondary, which I didn't think they would do. I think they're going to lose at least one of those guys. They wound up keeping Bradbury first. Slay gets panicky because he's looking around saying, I, mean, I don't know if anybody's going to give me the deal 
that I can get here in Philadelphia and stay with a winning team. All of a sudden, he comes back to the fold, and they get him on a favorable deal. So their secondary is intact, which is really surprising to me. Uh, and Howie Roseman did it again. Now, uh, you know, listen, I hope it works out. Um, they've got some guys that they are going to project to the next level, like Jordan Davis and the Kobe Dean. Those guys are going to play a prominent role. But they did get the, the accompanying players that they can put in a rotation on the line, and they kept the secondary intact. And out of the blue today, folks, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that I've been tallying this move. My producer, Darren DeGatano, was poo-pooing it. He was sniffing at it, right? But they signed a backup quarterback. Oh, my God, I woke up yesterday, though, and I was going, oh, my God, they lost Gardner Minshew? Oh, no, Minshew Mania? I mean, I, I couldn't rest. Come on, come on. Please. So he goes to Indianapolis, compete for a job, knock yourself out. They get Marcus Mariota as a backup quarterback. And my rationale was, yeah, he's not good as a starter, but he does the same things that Hurts does. So if Hurts has to lose a couple games, they still get a guy who can do the read option. And, and so, so Darren, first of all, I'll, I'll laud you because you were on the Bradbury thing. But I'll now take points away from you because Howie was thinking just like me with Marcus Mariota. Your thoughts, and they got him for $5 million. A couple pennies they paid him. My thoughts are they should. They probably approached Br- Jacoby Brissett because he's the better quarterback of the two, and he was a little too expensive. Those are my thoughts on that. I, Mariota does nothing for me. He never did anything for me in college. I think his arm is weak. Right, stop. Uh, you, you, you've, already gone, you've already gone down that road, okay? I know your feelings about Mariota. Obviously, the brain trust thought it was a smart loop move, hey, just like I thought it was a smart move. He's cheap. They got, they got him cheap, and that's why he's on the team. I, you know, Unfortunately, the way Hurts plays, the backup quarterback is a vital position on this team because the risk of injury is higher than, than some other quarterbacks in the league. So it's an important position. I just hope he's ready to play. Man, yeah, Gardner Minshew last year. Oh, I know. What Minshew, are we talking Minshew, about? Hold on. I'm not touting he Minshew stinks. at all. I'm not touting Minshew at all. I, well, but he's. But my point is, he stinks. So at least they got a guy that can run a read option. Okay, that's that's fine. I think there were there was a better option. That's all. All right. That's all. So you you just refuse to give it up. I, I swear know. to God, you get dug I, in on something. You hate Mario. Yeah, as a starter, you hate him. As a backup, he's perfect for what they do. Uh, Meanwhile, hey. the Eagles have uh, negotiated the, the the rough waters of free agency, and they've come out swimmingly. I, I'll right? tell you what, though. Howie played a game of chicken with Drew Rosenhaus and won. That was pretty wild. What a, I mean, it was a crazy day. Uh, but, to, you know, I went to bed that night. Because I'm old, I go to bed early. I wake up the next morning and Slay's back on the team. Pretty incredible day. It really is. Everybody's happy now. Slay's back. Let me be honest with you. I thought the Eagles were looking at it like, who, who the hell is this guy that wants to redo his contract? Because he didn't really play that well last year. And maybe he's on the other side of his career. So I'm, I'm actually shocked that they went through with it. And I think sometimes Howie is reluctant to real change. He feels safer staying in the lane. So we'll see how that works out with Slay. Uh, and Bradbury, uh, the, the starting corners are back. And, of course, the league is going to look at the Eagles like, wow, look what they did. They, they didn't change much from a team that, that went to the Super Bowl. Uh, all right, so uh, good on the Eagles. Now let's uh, move into the NCAA tournament, which is in full swing. I'm getting ready to watch a day's worth of, of basketball games. I, I love it. I was with somebody last night who said uh, he thought March Madness was the uh, most overrated concept in sports. And I, I couldn't think of, of anything. Now, uh, the first rounds to me are really exciting, especially what happened yesterday. 
uh, Arizona and Virginia go down. And there is not a dry eye in the house for both of those schools going down. And let me tell you why. Because Arizona has this haughty attitude, and they never win shit. All right? They, even when you go back to the Lute Olsen days, all oh, Arizona, pristine Arizona. Uh, and, and, and every year, it seems, their softness always comes out. Now, Princeton bellied up to them yesterday. And what did those kids do? They got scared to death. You could see it on their faces. They didn't know what to do. The coach couldn't pull them out of it. The players couldn't pull them out. Little Princeton is running offense on it. Princeton wins that game. Get this. Shooting 18% from three-point range. And they still wound up winning the game. That is incomprehensible to me. That is a blight on the Arizona program and this wonderful Tommy Lloyd who came from Gonzaga. I love the fact that Princeton beat that team. And and there, there's only there's only the only people that didn't love that are are people that follow Arizona basketball and people who went to a safety school in the Ivy League. You know, they only safety school the Dartmouth and the Pens and the world, oh, I hate Princeton winning, right? <laughs> because she went to a safety school. Good old Princeton. And they can win another game. I got news for you. Uh, now let's look at Virginia. Uh, <laughs> Virginia year after year is always the best team in the field that can always get upset. And why? You know, years ago they could beat by a 16 seed. First time it ever happened. Why is that? It is because their style is so boring that they let other teams hang around. And when you let a team hang around, there's always something weird that can happen. Like in that play last night. Kia Clark's been a very heady point guard, smart point guard. He's been there for 100 years, right? Gets trapped in the corner. First of all, he should have got trapped in the corner because the other kid who passed the ball to him panicked and went backwards instead of forwards. So they trapped the kid. He's got, he's got a timeout in his bag. He's a Virginia kid, smart kid. Instead of calling the timeout, he tries to fling a pass over his head past half court. It's invariably going to come up short because he's trapped. He doesn't have that kind of leverage to hoist it that far. It's intercepted, and they get it up the floor. Furman gets to the floor. Bang! Right wing three-pointer. Bang! Wins the game. And Virginia, last second shot. They got actually got a decent look at it, but they, they couldn't score. And it happens every year to Virginia. And, and it's funny about a program because they're delighted about Tony Bennett, Virginia, and how he runs a clean program and how he's a very religious man and he recruits those kind of kids and they're never going to get in trouble. But I, I don't know what the school philosophy is that sometimes you got to play a more exciting brand of basketball to actually win something. So I, I, I don't know what his status is going to be. I assume he's going to go along swimmingly. But that's disgraceful that Arizona could lose that game to Princeton and Virginia can lose to Furman. Now, on the other hand, I stayed up late last night, and you know why. The Penn State Nittany Lions live the dream. Penn State hoops, loving it. All right. So they win again last night, and they killed Texas A&M. They crushed them from the start. It was hysterical to watch that game. And J.J. Redick all of a sudden came out of retirement and started firing threes for Penn State. Andrew Funk. The kid from Archbishop Wood who went to Bucknell and then transferred as a grad's transfer to Penn State was off his charts last night. What did he make? Eight threes? He was just firing, firing from deep. The white boy jump shot. The J.J. Reddick quick release. Bang! And there it was last night. And Penn State moves on. Can they beat Texas? Listen, I'm thinking that the road ends here. Texas is just too long for them. They're too big inside. 
Uh, and I don't know. Penn State just can't rebound. They've got four guards on the on the floor most of the time. Uh, so I would not think they're going to move on. But what a run. And they're probably going to lose their coach. It's funny because the athletic director, who used to be a temple, Pat Kraft, he now has to go into the lab and ward off all these people who want to steal Micah Shrewsbury, including Notre Dame and Georgetown. Now, we'll see that. My, my sense is he's going to lose his coach, which would be a shame because he's starting to build momentum there. With momentum like this comes better recruits. So I guess as a Penn State fan, a Penn State grad, you got to kind of live this thing and and be proud of it well, and mean, know it's like, never going to come Penn back State's this way again. Small. Penn State's not a small school, though, Mike. I mean, do you think it's a foregone conclusion? He's definitely gone. I mean, it's not like he's at uh, Cincinnati or, or you know, a smaller. Can you school. recruit better? Uh, like, there's that. See, that's all. That's what it comes down to for coaches. If they can recruit better players at a program, can he recruit better at Notre Dame? He probably can. Can he recruit better at Georgetown? Maybe. Rich with DC prospects, Baltimore players. Uh, he probably can. Very few great players want to come to Penn State, and that's what he's thinking about. So it's not the university, which is a great university. It's how you can recruit at a particular university. And if it's Notre Dame and Georgetown, I would think he could recruit better at both those schools. I think there's a small chance he stays. It is a desired destination. It's a great school. I think a lot of kids would love it. It's not a desired destination. Not for basketball players. All right. right. Let's move on. And uh, let's go with the Sixers. They keep rolling. Um I thought they were going to lose to Cleveland the other night. Turns out it was a fairly easy victory. They won six in a row now, going into the Hornets to play, play them tonight, uh, Friday. Uh, and they're one game behind the Celtics. Now, I, it's viable that they win the conference. I, I, you know, I, I told you last week that I kind of changed my mind on it. They, they would be up against it against Milwaukee, no question. But I can't say that they can't survive it at this point. Uh, and the conclusion is I want to say two things. Embiid uh, – if they they should be voting for the MVP right now, all right. Forget forget about the competition. I'm tired of hearing this competition. He's a deadlock MVP this year. I don't want to hear any more about Jokic. Uh, uh, I don't want to hear any more about uh, 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 Tatum. He, he's got it locked, and and it, enough of this discussion. It should no longer be a discussion uh, about Jokic and, and Embiid. The second thing is, I got to give Doc Rivers credit. He might be the most hated, decent coach that we've had in, in a really long time. Nobody likes him. It doesn't matter what they do. And, and like, they're climbing up, playing great basketball. I, I don't think they're an overly deep team. And, and they're getting it done, and, and they're up at the top of the, of the conference at this point. So I'm going to give Doc a little credit. All these Doc haters out there, and I know why you hate them, but uh, he's doing a good job right now with this team. So, you know, and that could change in any minute. All right. Uh, let's move on to the WBC, the World Baseball Classic. I'm enamored with it. I, I know maybe a lot of people aren't as enamored with me because I love watching really good baseball. I love watching this nationalistic pride. I watched the Dominican-Puerto Rican game the other night. It was phenomenal in Miami, like 55,000 people with the Dominican flags and Puerto Rican flags. And those guys really have pride. They want to beat each other. You know, their, their islands almost touch each other, right? But the, the Dominicans have always had the superiority. It comes Puerto Rico. And, uh, I, I, I just love the nationalistic fervor uh, in it, and which, which leads me now to the, the U.S. team, which survived. They had to beat the Columbia. They did. All right, so let me let me just update what we have right now. The quarterfinals will have uh, well, there was one quarterfinal already. So Cuba, Viva Cuba, 
uh, they beat Australia. So they are in the ones this first semifinal. Meanwhile, Japan is in the other semifinal because they slayed Italy last night. And I was watching this game a little bit. <laughs> I had to laugh because uh, we're talking about uh, American pitchers. And we'll talk about this with Doug Lambeau. Uh, American pitchers uh, are uh, afraid to play in the World Baseball Classic. The, the difference between Americans and other countries is, is astounding to me. Uh, like, we are the, the pampered, spoiled babies. And, and those other guys, like great pitchers who come from the Dominican, come from Puerto Rico, come from Japan, they're out there playing for their country. <laughs> like Otani. The last guy should be playing in this is Otani, right? He pitches full-time. He hits full-time. The, the guy is, it has to be worn out at, at some point. He last night starts for Japan. He pitches uh, five shutout innings into the fifth. They beat Italy. He hit 102 miles an hour on the radar gun. They go, like, these guys are like full board. They can't hold back. 102. He didn't care. He threw 102 to Vinny Pasquantino. Poor Vinny. He's in the box and Otani's throwing 102 at him. He had no chance. And in the series, he's hitting 438. Pitching, he's got a 2.08. Uh, ERA uh, and 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 poor Italy. You know they got Mike Piazza was coaching them. They got some uh, American players of Italian descent. They got a couple native Italians. It's really funny. And, and I looked real close in, in their dugout. You know in the dugout, Darren. You, you know you see the the, the water, the Gatorade buckets, and all that. Italy. I was looking in there. They got uh, they got a cappuccino machine with a little biscotte. You know the 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 other. The other, the other team's got seeds and bubble gum and Gatorade, and, and you know, and it, it immediately dug out. They're going, they're going with a little cappuccino, a little red wine, and a little, little pescotti. Exactly, a little sliver of lemon. Right? It's, it's beautiful. No, no, they, they don't. I'm, I'm making that up. Uh, so, I love the WBC. I can't get enough of it. Uh, okay, so the bracket. Now let's get back to the bracket. We already told you. Who's in the semifinals in the quarterfinal? USA now plays Venezuela, and that'll be Saturday in Miami. So it's now moved to Miami. So USA versus Venezuela in the quarterfinal to get to the final four. And then uh, you got uh, Puerto Rico versus Mexico. And that'll be Friday um, coming up at seven o'clock. Saturday, seven o'clock is the USA game. So we get to the final four. I'm going to predict that USA takes care of Venezuela and Puerto Rico takes care of Mexico. And that means Puerto Rico will play Japan and Cuba will play USA. And, and meanwhile, uh, I'm thinking that the, the Cubans are busy building an underground tunnel in the dugout so they can defect after that game. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in that game, but. Uh, it's going to be fun, and I I, I love that. like the movie Victory with Pele and Stallone, yeah, where they dig the yeah, tunnel to get go. out of the country <laughs> after the game. All right, so so there's that. That's uh, what we call uh, the top. All right, as we're talking baseball, we have a special guest on the podcast today on the Mike Misnelli podcast. And I got to be honest with you, he, he, this guy might be the most well-rounded and, and versatile athlete to ever that we're ever going to interview on, on this podcast. He's a baseball analyst, ESPN. Works for the Marquee Sports Network, covering the Cubs out there, where he played for for a little while. Uh, he he produces a, a show out there called Classes in Session with Doug Glanville. He hosts a weekly podcast with our good buddy Jason Stark called Starksville. Now, I don't know why it's not just called Glanville, but it's called Starksville. Uh, and uh, he's a contributor to ESPN.com, The Athletic, 
the uh, undefeated, and the New York Times, which means he can write. He's a board member of the Major League Baseball Players Association, community activist, and oh, by the way, was a pretty good Major League Baseball player for like nine seasons, including five with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's the pride of Teaneck, New Jersey. He was also the first Ivy League African-American to play in the major leagues. He, of course, is the great Doug Glanville. Doug, how are you doing today? Oh, man. You know, it's thanks, man. Mike. I appreciate it. I'm doing well. Doing well. And, uh, and sadly, I have to add another hat to this crazy list, which I'm teaching at UConn. <laughs> so, yes, I forgot a... to mention that you're a professor <laughs> at UConn. <clears throat> So that's, I, I, and uh, I probably yeah, missed I a few that. other things. I, dude, <laughs> I, I, man, you are into a lot of stuff. How do you have time yeah. for all this stuff? Yeah, it's well, I've kind of figured out as a baseball player, it's just the built in bread in this mindset. It's seasonal. So I figured out how to, like, okay, I'm in season and I have certain things and I only teach in the off season. So uh, I think it's just the way the, the cadence, uh, the rhythm of baseball gives you, you know, a nice off season. So I use that to, do a lot of other stuff. So I'm, I'm having fun and everywhere I'm just, you know, celebrating baseball and sports and uh, how it can actually help us come together around it. So I'm enjoying it. I, I forgot one other thing. You're also the president of Illinois-based uh, Illinois uh, company that provides intellectual capital for startup and energy. Uh, uh, I, I don't even know what that means. So uh, please, please explain oh, yeah, what, that, what that is. Oh, yeah, I have that, no that intellectual was... capacity, so... No, that was that was yesteryear. So I got I got to uh, update that. But yeah, for for a while I did okay. some real estate, and that was uh, we, when we were uh, based in Chicago. So after I retired, shortly after you know, I met my wife, we um we moved to Chicago. So and Chicago is a super entrepreneurial city. So you're always in something. And I was one of those people like, oh, let's do some housing. Let's do let's try this other thing. So yeah, it was a, it was a good time and. But uh, yeah, mostly now it's just the business of, of sports media and how I can uh, you know use that. But I certainly try to do what I can in the community. I work on the Connecticut Police Council to uh, work on police reform, which has been really positive over the last five six years. So it's it's good. You know, I I have the energy. I'm I'm doing it. I'm raising kids, family. It's I don't know what time it is. That's okay. I don't even know if I have a shirt on right now. It's you know I just go with it. All right, let's talk some baseball. They don't want to get into so many other things with you that we can talk about. But uh, uh, let's talk about the Phillies. And, you know, we were just at spring training, and obviously they're not complete right now because a couple guys, star players are uh, in the World Baseball Classic. But uh, when you saw that run they made last year, what was your reaction? Well, you know, my first reaction was that this is a team that was built really well to go on these kinds of runs. I mean, they, they had the offensive firepower from jump. Uh, they were bit early on because of just defensive issues or the fact that when you have big bats, when they're slumping, you have to find ways to win those two to one games. They weren't able to do that. Zach Wheeler took a while to get into his rhythm. But when they got hot, you're just like, yeah, I get it because they have this kind of offense. I mean, the, that's who they signed these guys. They weren't saying we're going to catch the ball. They just said we're going to hit the ball out of the ballpark and outscore our opponent. And once they put it together, you, you kind of knew that they could really beat anyone. And if you're that kind of team, you, you, you should well be a contender for the World Series because if you can beat anyone on any given day, you have a shot. All right, so now, you know, it, it's, there's a hunger to get back there, but it's also really difficult to forge a season like that where it's just successful enough to get into to another World Series. So what are the pratfalls that they'll face this year? And uh, obviously, if you look at their lineup and you look at their pitching staff, you look at the bullpen, which they've added to, 
it looks like they should be there. But what will be the impediments to that? Well, you know, number one, you have to say health. You know, you have to have guys that can stay healthy. And that's sometimes just pure luck. Uh, if you don't have that luxury, then your, your depth is going to have to kick in. And when you have big bats that are streaky, you know, Schwarber, I've followed him since he was in Indiana, and he he's a guy that's going to be streaky. He's going to hit home runs. And even though he's like talks about, I don't want to be known as only a home run hitter, the, the nature of that is like you're going to have periods where you don't hit for average. Uh, you're hoping you're getting on base, but then you need other people to drive you in. So when you have that 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 sort of summary, if you have that figure that summarizes your offense, uh, you you can run into these challenges with being streaky, and it's the flip side of how they close the season. When I wouldn't say close, but how they ended up playing well and running through the postseason. But then you get a Trey Turner, and someone who could run and create a different kind of havoc, also could hit for power as well. That that excites you because he's a guy that just is is really consistent. So I think they have a great shot of, of going deep again, but you got to stay healthy. You guys got to repeat, be repeat performers, which is not easy. And, uh, and you just have to rely on the fact that the Mets aren't going to, you know, spend a billion dollars and, and buy some, buy a planet or something like that <laughs> to, to give them some advantage because they got the money. And the, and the Mets just took a major hit with Edwin Diaz being oh. out for the season though their their primo Ooh. closer they paid a zillion dollars to is out for the year i'll, I'll talk about the world baseball classic in, in a little bit uh but uh let, let's go over your career because you, you've got obviously a philly pedigree now teenage new jersey is more of a, a a new york type of thing but you grew up a philly fan how did that happen well i, I have i have an older brother who's seven and a half pretty much eight years older and he couldn't wait to have a playmate when I was born. And so sports was the way that we connected. And, you know, when I went to one of my early games, you know, powder blue Phillies road uniforms, that's all I needed to see, man. I was, all my teams early on were just cool uniforms. I liked the orange crust defense of the Denver Broncos. I went to like a Minnesota North Stars game with the Islanders. And I, so I, I just stuck to those teams. So the Phillies were uh, early on. I liked Dave Cash. I liked Gary Maddox, Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, and so on. So that's where it really started. It started off of a cool uni, <laughs> and just so happened they were also a really good team. Uh, okay, so uh, so now you, you you go to Penn. I, I assume you're a pretty good high school player that could have gone to a lot of places. Uh, why why did you choose Penn to start your 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 journey? And when you went to Penn, did you think that was going to springboard to the major leagues? Well, you know, Penn Penn was one of those things where I. I got introduced to this Ivy League concept, I guess, when I went to a summer league baseball camp at Princeton, you know, being a Jersey kid. And um, and the coach started asking questions like, hey, what are your grades like? What, And kind of put it in my head that, hey, I could have this Ivy League life. I mean, I knew of Harvard, Yale and all that, but I didn't really know like, okay, my chances of going to these places. Uh, and then the more I looked into it, I said, this could be a good fit because I wanted to be an engineer. And I knew that it would be tough to be at a really big program where you're playing like 40 games in the fall and 70 games. I, I was worried about that. So the Ivy League, who has a 40-game schedule, a light fall schedule, made a lot of sense to me. Plus, they were all fairly close to home. And the way Penn became the, the leader in this is I went on various recruiting trips and I you know tested the water. I went to Brown. I went to Yale, all these places. And Penn, I had a great time. I really love Philadelphia. I love the city. Obviously, a Phillies fan on top of that. And it's you know pretty close to home. I had family in, in North Philly. 
So there was a lot of reasons. And then the engineering school, I, I liked the fact that they had a lot of different disciplines to choose from. And I wasn't sure what kind of engineer I wanted to be, but I knew I wanted to be an engineer. So all those came together. And, and their coach, Bob Seddon, was all charismatic and charming and really a, you know, a good guy. And that ended up being true for the three years I played under his program. An engineering so, degree from Penn, it, 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 to have yeah. in your back pocket is a pretty good thing, I assume. Yeah, it was well, it was big. And, and I had to fight to graduate because I was drafted by junior year. And then I had to talk to the Cubs like, hey, I'm going to go back to the school in the fall to graduate uh, and actually to the spring, too. So we agreed that I would give up my spring of my senior year, which is tough, to go play. And then from there, I would go and go back the consecutive fall. So I ended up graduating really the next like the fall of the next year uh, or the late 92. So but it was uh, worth worth it, worth every penny, every time. All right, you start your career in Chicago, pretty successful, and then you get traded to the Phillies for Mickey Morandini, yeah, which Mickey. is, uh, I don't know if, if people remember, Mickey was a pretty popular player here. I guess it was towards the end for him, and he gets traded, and you come here. W- what was that like to hear you're traded to the Phillies? Well, it's it's interesting because I had mixed feelings about it in the moment. And part of it was my grandfather had passed away the night before, like pretty much a late morning, almost the same day. And I knew he was sick. And my, we, had, we had our first Christmas ever where we were, my, my dad and I were together and my brother and my mom were in North Carolina. So it was really a tough time. And then I got traded and I was upset because I was, you know, I was a cub and I was loyal to that and I was drafted and I'd finally broken through where I'd be a, possibly a starter in Chicago. And I felt like that was an accomplishment. I'd been through a lot. I had a horrible manager in AAA where we were, it was like world war three every day with this guy. Um, I overcome it. I went to winter ball in Puerto Rico for two years. I won an MVP trophy down there. I won a championship. So I was like, let's go. And then they trade me. And I was just like, come on, man. I'd finally, and I, I knew that the Phillies was a better world for me, but it just, it was hard to see in the moment because it's like one man's trash is another man's treasure. It was like that kind of moment. So um, I remember even in the press conference after getting traded, the Philly press, finally, one of the reporters said, um, hey, man, you don't sound that excited about this. And I said, you know, I, I know on paper I am because of my Phillies history, but I did lose my grandfather today or, you know, late last night. So I think I'm just still kind of dealing with that because, you know, we were all really close. And so it was it was a little bit of mixed feelings, but you know, I knew over time it would grow to be. Uh, something that I would embrace really easily. And and Lenny Dykstra was supposedly hurt and going to be retired. And then I walk into spring training in 1998 after I got traded and he's in the batting cage hitting. I'm like, I thought this guy was done. Like, why is this guy here? And uh, he looked totally fine. He was hitting in the cage. And so, uh, but I was able to beat out Lenny for that last hurrah and then he retired. So it was a good yeah. one. I remember, I remember those days. So now you get to a team that's not real good. And they're going through a transitional period, and, and Terry Francona is your manager. And um, so the first t- three years were pretty grim. Um, so uh, tell me about those. And then the transition to Boa, which is probably the opposite of Francona, uh, the old school guy who kind of got uh, just got into people's asses all the time. What was that like? Yeah, that was a pendulum swing, as, as you can define. I mean, I love Francona. We – we got along well. He was laid back. He was kind of like positive. I kind of I kind of thrived in that situation like I did in Puerto Rico, positive and just go get him. 
and uh and terry was a good fit for me and it was just it was good in some ways for me that we were figuring it out because i had room to make mistakes and it wasn't like win today it was like okay let's you know go figure this out we had a good team we had a talented team but they were on on the young side you know rolling and guys were just kind of getting into their own but um so i i enjoyed it and you know i got my feet wet with philadelphia and it was a good relationship i had really good 99 season my father got sick um after the 99 season he had a, a major stroke to start the 2000 season and uh, I was sick for three years in and out hospitals and lung cancer and all this stuff. So that was, that really framed a lot of my career in Philly, my dad just being sick and uh, really hard. So Francona, you know, he was, he was good about that. And I remember I forgot how many outs there were in a game after I got the news, my dad had a major stroke. And my mom said, look, don't come home now. Just wait until you're back East because you were starting the season in Arizona. And, you know, Randy Johnson being distracted is not a good combination, man. So, um, but I forgot how many outs there were, and Steve Finley scored from second on a, a sack fly to me in center. And I remember just being really upset in tears and um, because my dad, and then I talked to John Vukovic and said, Vuk, this is what's going on. And he said, okay, I got it. So he went to Ed Wade, went to Terry Francona and said, look, tell the media to try to take it easy. This is what's going on. And uh, I didn't know, but Francona ended up kind of telling the media kind of more than I wanted him to tell him. He just said, hey, Glanville's dad has a stroke. And the problem was now everybody knew and then all these people were coming up to me asking about it. And I didn't even know myself of a lot of the updates because it wasn't like I was home, right? So so that was a really hard time for me. Uh, I was kind of mad at Francona. I, I talked to him. I had a meeting with him. And he's like, I'm sorry, Dougie. That's somebody said, I'm sorry. You know, I was just trying to protect you, man. I said, yeah, but you unleashed like all this privacy issues now. Like, like my dad, it's like, I, I'm trying to get away from this a little bit to, to try to compete. And now I'm like thinking about it all the time. So, um, but I love Terry. It was great. It, it was an honest conversation. And then when Boa came in, it was like, you know, it was like Armageddon. I mean, he came in and in some ways we probably needed that kick, but on the other hand, uh, it was tough, you know, because I was emotionally dealing with a lot with my dad and Bo was just like, you know, fiery guy. I don't think I would even describe him like getting on you directly. He kind of did it. You know what I'd say? Like obliquely, like he came at you, like, you know, the press and the media and he kind of like, you know, he wasn't like in your face unless it was like really extreme. And, um, and so, uh, and Bo and I were very different personalities. And I think by the end, you know, I was kind of benched in 2002 and we had a big conversation on the field about it. And, um, but yeah, in the end, like, look, it was, it was major league baseball was so cool. Cause I saw all these people. I loved as fan, as a fan become my coaches, you know, Greg Gross and, Gary Maddox. And I was like in heaven and Boa was one of my favorites. Uh, so it was tough to reconcile like, oh, I have to like, this is my manager now. This is like my boss. <laughs> so so um, yeah, it was, a, it was like night and day, truly. Francona yeah. Boa. And the first year he came in, you guys actually, I think won 86 games or something. And then it kind of tailed off there. So the, like that initial jump start. But uh, I want to get into uh, the Scott Rowland because you, you play with the Hall of Famer in Philadelphia. You just became a Hall of Famer. And Scott was a very perplexing guy for me as, as a media guy, but uh, I know players really respected him. And what I'm getting to is like when you play with a great player, they are in the clubhouse. Uh, like the, they're dealing with Bryce Harper now as with that R. You dealt with with Roland, who was like, he was really a, just a you know sh- sh- stick to the to the plan type of guy, focused guy. Um, mm-hmm. And I heard you tell a story about that. Uh, 
he he kind of like uh ta- Bo was trying to uh, do something where like let's talk about extra hitting or something and he like eyeballed him down and 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 with it with a cold stare said something that backed him off tell me that story <laughs> oh, yeah so um yeah so we we got beat down on a, a west coast trip i think dodgers whoever it was padres somebody uh, we come back, and I think the first day back, we had early batting practice on the field. And I think we had a day off. It was weird, some weird travel. But all I know is the first day, there was early hitting on the field. And Roland, Travis Lee, me, Bobby Abreu, we didn't show up to early hitting. We were we got there, but we were hitting, doing other stuff. Um, we just didn't. We decided we didn't want to take out early hitting, right? So Boa calls me, Roland, and Abreu in the office, and like kind of you know getting honest like you guys don't think you need to hit like what you guys are hitting 220 like you know he's like going like it's like what are you doing like what you're not you so he's going off and scott just like you know the 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 rolling death stare is you don't want to mess with it and he's like are you questioning my professionalism are you questioning my professionalism i mean it was just like and i everybody just like melted away it's like and it was just like and bo was like well, no, 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 man. No, that's like, I mean, I think he talked about like, you know, tea leaves and, you know, the coffee industry after that. like the subject just completely changed <laughs> after that. And uh, I mean, it was crazy, but Roland and, you know, Bobby was calm and like, you know, we were just talking about like everybody, all of us had drills that we did that were, were still early work. We just weren't on the field and Roland loved to hit off the tee and he just had his routine. I like soft toss. So we, you know, it wasn't like we weren't working, but I understand like it's a good example to set. I, I don't think Boa was like completely wrong in this, right? I think I understood, but um, but I think it wasn't that we weren't working, right? And and Roland, yeah, Roland just was not having it, you know. And like you said, Roland was really principled. Like, he's one of the few players I played with that I actually remember his hometown because it was like the kid from Jasper, Indiana. It was like that was his value, and he he lived it small town America, lunch pail. He just wanted to get to work. I don't need the glory. I don't need the, you know, and, and, and at the same time, Scott was a thinker, wanted to talk to you about, you know, little things, things that bothered him. You know, he's always like worried, like, oh, you know, and I, I remember talking to Greg Gross, our hitting coach, and he was talking about how do you coach Scott Rowland when he's in a slump and like, so he's hitting and, and it ends up, it's a, it turns out it's a circular conversation. Scott starts it off. And then you got to let him come back to his own conclusion. <laughs> and then that's it. That's all you have to say, you know? So um, he figured it out. But yeah, Scott was, I, I enjoyed playing for him. And I think I told one funny story about how he kicked Jimmy Rollins out of our hitting group because yeah. Jimmy came up and Jimmy just didn't stop talking. It was like, and he just, he would do play by play on his batting practice. When the first day he was up, it's like, oh, did you see that? Oh, that's upper deck. Look at the backspin on that. Oh my goodness. What's going on, man? I got... So we were like, what, who is this guy? Like, what is, who is this kid? So he's talking through his whole batting practice for like days. And Scott Rowland pulls Bobby and I aside and says, all right, I'm just telling you right now, we have to kick. And it was like a statement. We're kicking Jimmy Rollins out of the group. Okay. that This has to happen. So Rowland says that you just, there's no fight. So Bobby and I were just like, whatever you say, chief, like, you know, you're all good, man. Go do your thing. So Scott says, he walks up to Jimmy and is like, tells him straight up, you're, you're out of the group. You act like you had eight years in the big leagues when you just got here. And it was just like one of those veteran moves. And, um, and so 
Jimmy, poor Jimmy didn't speak for days. He was just, he was so upset and sad. <laughs> and I realized then, like, I learned from Ryan Sandberg, like, be you. Like, Ryan didn't say a word for days and, and destroyed his opponent. So I knew that there was different personalities, and Jimmy had to be him, you know. And it was good that, as I called him, Rookie 2.0, he needed that bandwidth to be himself. And so I think, it, you know, they were just different personalities. So Scott was very strict, very strict. Uh, he also had a great sense of humor when he got traded to the Cardinals. I'm going to tell another story is we had a, a, a quilt. We had a quilt made for the Phillies wives and each player had a square that you had to design. Now I didn't have a girlfriend or a wife at the time. So I was like not doing this quilt. I was like, whatever, and you're supposed to sign it and they'd auction it off for charity. So I I'm like the last guy to sign and all the other quilt squares are done. And they're all Phillies colors, red and white. Travis Lee had like a hammock and a sun in San Diego and whatever. And then I look in the middle of the quilt and there's a black square in the middle of the quilt. Just black. Like, what, what is that? So I lean in and it's actually a painting, like a Rockwell painting of Scott Rowland in uniform standing over a dock where in, in like the ocean where ravens are in the sky. It's lightning, black clouds. It's like ominous. Like what in the world is this thing? So I realized that Scott was trolling us from St. Louis. He had had the square and then he got traded and he just like, so I asked the PR guy, Gene, like, what is this? He's like, yeah, man, we got to auction this off. And there's a square that's like a cemetery in the middle of the quilt. So, so I get on my, I pick up my phone and I call Scott like immediately. I'm like, hey man. And he picks up the phone and immediately is laughing hysterically. He knew exactly the time. He's like, I was waiting for you to call me. I knew. <laughs> so Scott was like, he was the best, man. He was like a great player. Uh, pay to watch this dude. Worked hard. Didn't want the glory. Insecure enough to make him endearing. And absolutely hilarious. Like, you know, so... That's my my role in tribute for the day. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I know people respected him. I I, I saw him in a different light because I mean, when he came up to the Phillies, he was the sweetest, nicest kid, and I think baseball hardened him in a way where he got like really strict and serious uh, yeah. over the years. But yeah, listen, you have a Hall of Fame career, you have a Hall of Fame career. I want to talk to you about the dynamic of a clubhouse, which is always fascinating to me. And I've been in many clubhouses uh, over the years. And, and I'm looking at you, and and you're a guy. You're a rare breed, right? You're a Penn guy. You're an Ivy League guy. And in my world, uh, and I play college baseball, but in a baseball clubhouse, intellectualism is not uh, prevalent <laughs> most of the time. And I wonder if you you ever felt different in a clubhouse than most baseball players because most listen most baseball players are simple people they have a routine and it's just uh, some of them are very sloppy uh but but you're you're a sophisticated ivy league guy in fact you're one of i think only five pen players that ever played in major leagues DeRosa, i guess is one of them i don't know who the other three are you probably know but but, but tell me about that dynamic being an ivy leaguer in a baseball clubhouse you know i I, I, I've thought about this before and I, I just, I, I didn't have any real issue. I mean, well, I think of it this way. I, I'd have, I had a lot more issues in the minor leagues and it wasn't necessarily because of the players. It was just like, I think the front office, there was a kind of stigma that you're, you're overthinking things. You think you're smarter than everybody. You know, the minor leagues, they're trying to break you down and then build you back up. So I, I always came off as like I was a renegade or asking too many questions. And then, and then I'd say something smart back like, 
well, you say I have, you, you say, I think I have all the answers, but then you say I asked too many questions. So how can both be true? Right. Like, all right. So that's, you know, but it was this, you know, I had a lot more problems there. The big leagues was great. I mean, because the thing is like, I, I also think what growing up in Teaneck and a very diverse, beautifully diverse community to me, that that's like trumped the whole idea of like intelligence as the way you bond with people you know, or some measured intelligence, right? It was, I connected with people because of their backgrounds. I was fascinated by, by how Billy Wagner had an alpaca farm. I, I just, everything was interesting to me, right? So, so I, I, I had no problem having conversations with people. It didn't, I didn't really, you know, and I think my dad, who was a super Renaissance guy, the one term that always came up and it was at his funeral was brought up called multiple or multiple intelligentsia. You know, like the fact that there were so many different ways to be smart. There's so many different ways to be smart. And I guarantee these players that may have these simple routines, like Scott Rowland, you know, was a really smart guy uh, in his own right, in his own way. Um, so I, 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 so that's what kind of, but yeah, minor leagues was, was tough. I mean, because, you know, like I got cursed out by Jimmy Pearsall all the time and we became good friends, but for a while we were just oil and water. I mean, he's just like, get off the phone. Wait, who do you think you, you know? So it was like, okay. And I couldn't say anything because then I was talking back. So, so yeah, it was, it was a little bit tough uh, in that regard, but, but overall uh, once, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, Bull Durham, there's the scene where uh, Tim Robbins character, Ebby Calvin Lelouch and, and there's a Costner Costner's talking about his shower shoes, Crash Davis. He's like, so he picks them up. He's like, dude, you got fungus on your shower shoe. Right. So he's like, oh yeah, whatever. And he's like, he's like, okay. If you're in the big leagues, they're going to call you colorful. But here, you're a slob, you know? So it's like, once I got to the big leagues, it was like people were like, parents were like, oh, you have an Ivy League, that's great. Like, we're going to have a good grades club and you could talk about the kids, talk to the kids about, you know, academics. And it became a thing. It became my unique little quirk, right? Um, so yeah, the big leagues definitely makes everybody fit in, which is kind of cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, except except if you play for that 93 team, I, I think maybe the dynamic yeah. <laughs> would have been – like you crossed paths br- briefly with right. Lenny Dykstra. Right, and I love Croc. I love Croc. John those Croc. guys – Doug, those guys were all they barbarians. Were, they, were, they were nuts, yes. and But, you know, it's like I, I fit into a lot of crazy worlds, man. I played in – my Spanish is really good. I played in Puerto Rico. I had a blast talking Spanish all day. I, I don't really care. That's what I, that's what I actually love about baseball, diversity people just all over the place. I mean, Schilling and I played video games. I mean, whatever. We just had our stuff, you know? That's cool. Uh, all right. I'll a couple of quirky things that uh, I, I found out about you. First of all, at Penn, you wrote, the the- you wrote a thesis about uh, a new ballpark and the design of a new ballpark it, that was so brilliant that uh, I understand Bill Giles actually met with you about it. Quickly tell Scared me about me to that. Death. <laughs> Scared me to death, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, my thesis was about building a stadium at 30th Street Station, and I did a transportation feasibility study, right? And it's uh, – and our Which thesis was a brilliant was, idea because that's where I wanted the stadium, by the yeah, way. I okay. mean, yeah, I mean – but, you know, now I can get into the weeds about the different track gauges and all this stuff about why it would be really expensive and storing trains and – all right. So I won't get into the, the weeds exactly, but I did this paper, and it was 120 pages. It was crazy. And I had a microfilm, an overhead projector, and I presented it. So this paper ended up in the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is cool. I can say I'm in the Hall of Fame, right? So it ends up in the hall. And uh, so one day, the Phillies, I'm in the locker room, clubhouse, and the phone rings, and they tell me it's for me. So I'm like, 
that's really weird. Is it, who is this family or something? And it was like, no, it's Bill Giles on the phone. Now, Bill Giles, the Philly fan growing up, is an icon. And I'm like, but I'm also thinking if he's the president or leader, is this a good thing? Am I getting traded? Like, I really thought I was in trouble. So I go upstairs and I, I don't even think I've even been in the Phillies offices at this point. And he has like a like a lounge chair and it's like all this memorabilia. It's like he, he's did everything under the sun. And uh, he, and then he tells me to sit down. So I'm like, oh, this is really bad. <laughs> I'm definitely treated. And he's like, I need a copy of your paper. <laughs> I heard there's some good ideas in there about transportation and stuff. And maybe our PR department could look at it. But uh, I, I just need a copy of it. And tell me some, tell me, give me a summary of it. <laughs> so we had this long conversation and I feel like I, they had this thing called Septonite. And that was like one of the ideas in there. I'm not saying like they had it, but I kind of reinforced its value because you can give discounts and encourage people to take public transportation as opposed to parking issues and traffic and all that. So uh, it was cool. You know, it was a moment that, you know, I didn't expect, but uh, fortunately I was not traded and uh, I, I got to be playing Phillies for a long time. All right. Here's another story. Uh, you apparently got stranded in an airport, had to sleep in the airport. And from that experience, you somehow befriended the entire U.S. women's soccer team. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, before I tell that one, just just a quick reminder how great Philly fans are. Uh, when I first got in 98, everybody knew about my paper and so on. I get my first week, first month of Philly, I'm terrible. And a fan who knew about my paper, did his work, did his homework, yells at me, Hey, Glanville, why don't you design a stadium you can hit in? <laughs> and, and I was like, that's a good one. I had to tip my cap on that one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, the so but in AAA, we, um, I was in Des Moines, Iowa as a Cub, and I got uh, – we were playing in Indianapolis, and we were flying back to Des Moines, and we had to connect – we had to connect through St. Louis. And the weather was, I mean, horrific. There was a lady next to – one of my teammates that says, I will give you my BMW if we land safely. I mean, it was a knuckleball. The lights went out. It was terrifying, but we made it, right? So we land and we get the sense it's one in the morning at this point. We're not going to make it back to Des Moines. There's no flights at that hour. So we, we're going to sleep in the airport. So we, we go to the gate where we're going to take off the next morning and we just set up all our bags. And there's this group of women, uh, you know, looking athletes and wearing, you know, stuff, USA, soccer, something. So I, I break out a book that I was reading and one of the soccer players breaks out a book. So we're reading the same book. So I was like, wow. So we start talking, it's Tiffany Milbrett and Tiffany Milbrett is Brandy Chastain, Brandy Chastain, there's Lori Fair. And then we just kind of all start talking. Now it wasn't a whole team, but it was like some travel contingent of it. So we end up sleeping on the floor on our little backpack and talking the whole, whole night and uh, flew, kept in touch. And to this day, like I text Brandy Chastain Tiffany Milbrit, talked to Lori Fair. Um, just have a blast. They were great. So that team ended up winning the World Cup, like the 99. Um, and I, I, we were in the Phillies locker room. And I think our game was kind of close to starting. And I like made people stand there. I was like, you are not going on the field right now, okay? You are watching these women represent this country and just win this whole thing. And Brandon Chastain did the, the shirt thing come off and kicked the left-footed shootout. It was amazing. So anyway, I love women's sports, by the way. So just FYI. Um, but yeah, that was um, that was great. So yeah, I, I got to be friends and I still am to this day friends with, with, uh, with them. Yeah. In fact, Brandy, I, her, she has a picture in the San Francisco airport of her 
And I took a picture and texted. I said, "Yep, you're famous all over the world." <laughs> yeah, well, Lori Fair played in Philadelphia for that pro team here for for a little bit. Yes, he did. Uh, I met Lori. Yes, she did. Uh, all right. Here, so here's the last one. Uh, this is the, the best one. So uh, apparently, you met Tyra Banks because of a <laughs> quote that Jason Stark put in in, in a column. Yeah, tell me that yeah. story. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was that was crazy. That was totally crazy. Um, all right, so Jason Stark, uh, I loved as a as a fan. I grew up, obviously, as a Phillies fan. And when I went to college in Philadelphia, I read his columns. I think we call Wild Pitches in the Inquirer. So I'd read this every week, and I loved it. It was just a great column. So when I got traded to the Phillies, and I immediately saw Jason Stark, and I'm like, dude, I'm a big fan of yours, and we became you know friends. And so he, I became his quote guy, and I, you know, all kinds of ridiculous quotes I gave over the years. So um, we we just fed off each other. So at one point, he wanted to, he was doing a story on Wade Boggs getting his three thousandth hit, and he remember he hits a three thousandth hit over you know hits a home run, comes around the bases and then he kisses home plate, which is categorically disgusting, right? It's full of dirt and saliva and you know tar and chalk and stuff. So I'm like, okay. So he asked me about it. So I was just playing around. It's like, well, look, the only way I would kiss home plate as if Tyra Banks' picture is on it. Okay, that, that's what I'm saying. So that was my quote and it's something like that, right? And then that was it. I forgot about it. So we're, we play in the Dodgers and I look at the LA Times and my quote is like the quote of the day or something. It's like headline. And I was like, okay, that's cool, you know, whatever. So um, so I get back and I remember doing a charity event. I think it might've been the off season at that point. I'm at a Jackie Robinson event or something. And the, my agent's uh, assistant, she's like, Hey, you know, Tyra Banks like reached out or something. And I think, I think she's sending you a plate or something. I, I don't know, but I, I heard Tyra Banks like reached out and was like flattered by your comment. And I was like, come on, man. you know, you stop playing. You know, I just was like, I literally ignored it. Like she just, I didn't believe him. I was like, yeah, whatever. So that was it. But I moved on. So I'm at home at my parents' house in the off season and this giant box is, ends up on their porch. So she's like, I think it's for you. And I'm picking it up and it's like weird. It's like all weighted funny. And it's like, what the heck is this? So I open this thing and there's a plate. There's a home plate in this box with Tyra Banks picture on it. And it says, uh, dear Doug, you don't have to wait for your 3000th hit. You can kiss home plate right now. <laughs> it was like, what? So of course, I'm still like, wait a minute. What are the, what are the, I'm looking around, checking the, the bushes, see if someone. So it was an invitation in this box that invited me to her birthday party in New York city. And I don't remember December or something like that. And it was like backstage, you know, whatever, all this stuff. So of course, as a single man, I come with everything under the sun to this birthday party. And it turns out not a lot of people were just kind of selfish. They showed up like, we just want to leverage this GQ party and hang out. And I brought gifts like happy birthday, Tyra. So I brought like, and I found out her favorite color was green. So I got her a green Phillies cap, the St. Patrick's Day one. I mean, I went all, I, I, I gave her 300 ways to reach me. I mean, there was like email, cell phone, carrier pigeon, like smoke <laughs> signals. I just, I like gave her everything and I was dressed to kill. So, and I brought witnesses too. They weren't friends. They were just witnesses that this happened. So, you know, take pictures and. So fast forward a couple months and, you know, I was like, all right, that was like whatever, a delusional dream. And I'm, I'm with Kurt Schilling. We're, we're like working out in the, in the gym in spring training. 
And, you know, then we didn't have like laptops or the phone, whatever. So I check my email from the, the training room and there's this weird cryptic email in there and it's like all in lowercase letters. And I'm like, what, you know, Hey, you know, something, thanks for the present. It was something like that. And then I kind of figured it out. And then at the end it was, you know, from Tyra Banks and Schilling was like over my shoulder. He was like, dude, you can't, it's like, he, he like lost his mind. And, uh, and yeah, so, you know, for a couple of years, I talked to her, you know, she was cool, good people. I remember once we, she was supposed to go to, uh, well, she did go to a couple of games in LA, but then she was, we were supposed to meet for breakfast. Um, she loved breakfast, some waffle place or something. And she, um, she couldn't make it. She had some big model shoot somewhere and canceled last minute. She's like, I feel bad. Uh, I'm going to be your wake up call the next three days. So just tell me what time you want me to call you. So I was like, yeah, 9.30, 10, and 9.30. And she called, 9.30, 10, 9.30, and just talked for a half hour. And So anyway, I had a good run. My kids are very impressed because they watch like America's, you know, uh, wait a minute. whatever good. show. Did you, wait, hold it. Did you, did, you, did you actually date her? Or, no, or this was no, just, no, no. so it was just no. a dalliance? You shot, you shot I mean, your shot, I, and it was just a dalliance. Yeah, I mean, I, I, she was just cool. We were like pen pals, I guess is the best way to describe it. She was cool, people. <laughs> And like, yeah, my wife is amazing, by the way. Okay, because yeah. I wrote a New York Times article about it and I got approval from her. But <laughs> I always told her, I said, look, when we got married, I was like, look, I'll throw it away. I'll melt it. We don't need it. She's like, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool. Just keep it. And I kept sleeping uh, with one eye open, but she, she's cool. So I just like, you know, it was a, a good run. And, that, and Tyra's been around long enough. Like, you know, my kids know who she is. So, so I get yep. some like street, street credibility off of that. But Big league life. It, it was a great run, guys. I mean, the big thing for me, bigger than Tyra Banks, was meeting Daryl Hall and John Oates. Okay, let's just. That's, oh, that's true. You're a big Hall and Oates fan, and I am. That was also. the top. That was the top right there. So Tyra, that's cool. Daryl Hall and John Oates. So um, wow. Yeah, I'm cool with John. So I, that, I've lived. A, it's charm, man. I live. A, I'm very grateful, fortunate. Uh, I'm. I'm really thrilled, and I'm happy. I'm still in the game, man. Really My happy. favorite Hall and Oates song. Oh man, that's like choosing children, man. That's like I know it's crazy, but isn't it? I'm gonna, Somebody I'm put this go, on Twitter I, the other day. Well, if I just do my biased teenage self, it's out of touch because I, I listen to that song to the end of time. But I, I think when I've really digested music and all that, the best album for me is Abandoned Luncheonette because they brought in like such a great orchestra as orchestral. Uh, for, John for, for Lady after. Rain, Lady Rain with yeah. the strings. Good stuff. And John Oates said, hey, man, I had to go get a music teacher after this because the, the the session musicians were so good that he felt like out of his league and he went back and took lessons. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, I know a lot of stuff about these guys. And John Oates is, is a friend. I consider him a friend. So I, that's another thing I pinch myself on every day. Just John Oates, like, shooting yeah. me a text message, right? It's like, so I had him on my radio show once. He's, he's pretty cool. I try to get Daryl. Daryl's a little more reclusive. Yeah, for so. sure. Yeah. They're different personalities. All right. So, uh, Doug, thank you so much. And uh, we're talking to Doug Lambeau, of course. I, I just want to ask you one last question about the state of baseball, because, you know, I look at it now and I, you know, I was looking at uh, the two lefties that the Phillies are going to bring out of the pen. And I'm going, you cut you get a, a late inning at bat, and these two guys are, are humping 99 with, with crazy sliders. You can't get a sniff of being a good pitcher these days without having that kind of velocity and stuff. So when you look at the error that you played in, you look at it now, I, th- I think it's much more athletic. The pitchers throw so much harder and, and sharper. Um, what, what's your impression of today's game? 
Yeah, I mean, well, I think we've learned somewhat. I mean, I'm curious how the velocity will be measured when without all the unlimited time to do max effort. I think that might change the velocity a little bit. So I don't think like, you know, as a species, we just were like, oh yeah, we gained two miles an hour. I know I know there's all the technology now to, to improve velocity for sure. But also there's, a, you know, I'm curious actually, I can't state for sure how this max effort will change given that now you have a clock, right? You can't just walk around the mound and take a running start from center field and pitch anymore. So I think that's, um, you know, interesting. But look, I still love the game. And I know they're trying a lot of things. And I think the pitch clock has been excellent. It, it really has been. And as an old school guy, it's like, oh, a clock, you can't have a clock. But it's really, the culture just got off, went off the rails. It, just all the time and the dead time and, and the lack of action. So I think they're trying to do things to make the game still entertaining as well, which is, you know, part of the responsibility of fostering the game for the future. So that is um, definitely important. But yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't feel like a disgruntled old veteran. I, I still love the game. I still, you know, love players that are well-rounded and do different things on the field. And um, But yeah, we want to, like anything else, not be so data-driven. But it's hard when you have the information that can make you better to ignore it, right? It's like, you know, if I find out I can get information to find out, you know, my my dad's health sooner with more information, I'm going to take it, right? Uh, but where it does a disservice, like I'll give you a quick basketball example. Watching the Nuggets play a couple of years ago, and they were down by two with like five seconds left. And I think Murray was dribbling at the, you know, right to the three-point line. And he he's about to pull up, and they knew that. And they had a three-on-one, so the Nuggets had a huge advantage. So he passes to the guy way at the end of the court. He kind of bobbles it, starts dribbling towards the hoop. I'm like, oh, he's just going to tie it before overtime. He then backs up past the three-point line, shoots and misses, and they lose by two. Now, why is that insane? Well, it's like the analytics tell you shoot the three, right? But it's like you can't even use the calculation to do like the rational thing and just score the basket, right? Because it's like you're so programmed. It's like I'm not going to steal third because if I get caught, my win, my run probability score changes, but you know, by forty percent. But if I make it, I only gain twenty percent. And you just so you become so risk averse that you eliminate anything that is low percentage. And I think the thing that I've learned most about life, even, is some of the most inspiring, exciting. We can all do this. Things happen in the low percentage play. Like that's like watching. Kyle Hendricks go into the ninth inning and just dig down there. There's value in that. I'm not saying that makes you winning baseball. I'm just saying that we need those examples because we're excited by the low probability thing, the rare. That's why we love to watch a no hitter. That's why we love to watch a per. That's why I like to be there. Like that's what we love. The thing that's not supposed to happen that happened. And if we take all those plays away and frame them as risk, then we'll never, we'll never accomplish that inspiration in the same way. And to be like, yeah, that's right. I, I just did that. I just faced a righty. And I was a right-handed hitter. You know, it's heaven forbid, right? So, <laughs> so um, you know, so I just think that, I think it's smart that they're trying to get that soul back and remember that, you know, this is an entertainment product too. And I'm still the, I'm just, I'm a baseball guy. I will love the game to the end of time. Pretty much no matter what they do to it, I'm going to find a way to evolve with it. But I also know that I, that's not the standard, right? People, you have to bring in new fans and new energy and be young and inspiring. And, and you have great young players right now. So it's like, this is a good time. 
So yeah, Otani, I just sit there and go, I just, I just hold my head. Like what am I, what? I don't even understand what I'm watching right now. I don't, I, he's better. He's way better hitter than I was ever. And this dude, I couldn't hit him. I couldn't hit the guy. That's a way better player than I was. What? That's like craziness. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Which leads me to a quick question on the WBC and then it'll, we'll close it down. Uh, I love the WBC. I, I, you know, I was watching a, a Puerto Rico Dominican game the other day. It, it couldn't have been more exciting for those guys. Uh, and so now the USA advances, but they're really not the favorite. And Japan probably is because of what you just said with Otani. And he threw, he threw a 102 mile an hour fastball last night. And I'm looking at the, like the pitching staff of the USA. They really couldn't put together a good pitching staff. Their lineup is unbelievable. But their staff, and you know, I'm wondering how you feel about the the, the, the protection of pitchers. And I know GMs were involved in this, the, you know, kind of discouraging those guys because they want to preserve their. But uh, I'm looking at Otani. Like, there, if, if there's ever a reason the guy shouldn't be playing in the WBC, it's that guy, and he just goes out there and he pitches and he hits, and 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 we can't get American starting pitchers. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is a really tough situation and the fact that they got this team together they're definitely taking it more seriously um but you know they're trying to play the well we can get the right construction of a staff this is an outgrowth of the analytics world which i don't just shun broadly i think it has a lot of value of course but it's just the idea that all right well we could just construct the right staff which is true like oh i need a lefty who throws sinkers i need a righty that has a sidearm sweeper i i need a, a guy who throws with both arms that is allergic to shellfish i mean whatever <laughs> you have every situation right so you know when you have that you try to build the perfect rotation and you're not worried about having like an all-star group but i don't know will it work maybe i mean time will tell but it's um so I, you do have that now where i relate to this is when i played in winter ball in puerto rico which i loved there was the final years of the dream team where they, they had like Edgar Martinez and Juan Gonzalez, all these San Juan players, right? And slowly, pretty shortly after that, they started paying players not to play. And the league just suffered, you know? And, and so I get it that you're making more money and you're, and most importantly from the owners, you're investing more money in this sort of asset and you want to protect your asset. And that's, it. but the fallout of that and the trade-off of that is, is unfortunate because these exhibitions, which are sometimes really important to grow the game or, or just to celebrate your, your country or, you know, you just have all these limits to it. And I don't know how you fix that because, yeah, if I'm, if I'm the Mets right now, I'm, I'm upset. And I don't blame the WBC. You could have fallen down the stairs. But it's just the idea that you are taking risk. And, and you, you're, you make the best point of all. Shohei Otani is playing. Period. End of story. If there's not a guy that, you know, who's going to do both sides of the ball and hurt his arm and be amped up and that's the guy. He is, he is like, he's like Haley's Comet of baseball and he's out there. And, and I think it, it really matters that he's out there to a lot of things that I don't think we can even quantify. And the same thing with the Dominican and Puerto Rican teams. Those pitchers, all those Astros flamethrowers are, are, are playing. Ooh, uh, man, you know. smoke. Yeah, it's just pride for those guys. Uh, Doug, listen, this has been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Continue success and uh, all your great ventures. Uh, tell tell Stark we said hello, and uh, we'll talk. We'll talk again. Thank you. All right, thank you guys, Mike. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, Doug. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Mike Unleashed. We're going to go all over the place today. And only one little sports tidbit I'm going to throw in Mike Unleashed today. Here's number one on Mike Unleashed. It has occurred to me, and I've been saying this for many years, that Italians 
are supposed to have the least sensitivity of any ethnic group. And I'm going to prove it. And I've been talking about this for really long. In fact, I just did it in the last segment. I just did it in the last segment. I went into the Italian team's dugout and said they had cappuccino machine and biscotti, right? Uh, and I've been saying this for a long time. How come, like, you know, the Cleveland Indians had that that Indian insignia for a really long time, right? Which was, was totally offensive. We've been saying it was offensive. How come the same thing doesn't apply to the pizza box? When you got the Italian guy with the mustache and, and the freaking chef's hat, like nobody says anything about it. That's as insensitive to me. As the as the Indian as the smiling Indian was on the hat, but nobody says anything. Like as Italians, we just slough that stuff off. It's it's very curious to me why why that happens. Like, it's like we just we make fun of ourselves. But but here's the problem. Um, other people get involved in this kind of thing, right? And and I'm starting to like pay like Jimmy Kimmel, who I like, like Jimmy Kimmel last night. Uh, all right, there's a Trump lawyer who's representing him called Joe Tacopina. He's a famous defense attorney in New York City. He's a bombastic defense attorney. I've heard of him. He's represented a lot of high-profile clients. He's now representing Donald Trump, and he's all over Fox News, blurting out uh, you know, this stuff about Stormy Daniels and all that. So, uh, it, so Kimmel last night says, uh, you know, he's kind of a gruff guy, a gruff, uh, fast-talking uh, New York Italian. Uh, so Kimmel says last night, um, he seems to have been born in the ashtray of Rudy, Rudy Giuliani's Lincoln Continental. Well, that's all kinds of stereotypes, right? Nobody says boo about it. I mean, that's vicious stereotype. He's born in the ashtray of Rudy Giuliani, who's Italian, Lincoln Continental, which is the, the typical stereotypical, uh, you know, that, that mobbers were running around in the Lincoln Continental. So, oh, God, Jimmy, what? Like and and we just like Italians just go ah oh, ha ha see it bothers me with other Italians can insult other Italians ah you goomba you yeah but I don't think other people should be able to get in there Darren am I right I agree my last name is Degatano what do you think my friends have been calling they call, Dago they call you oh, Dago you heard them they all call me Dago yeah right and and it's 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 nothing else. So, Mike Massanelli, I've been trying to be on this campaign for years. I'm trying to stamp out the, the freaking Italian pizza bender on the box. I mean, have a little respect. Hey, my Big God. Are we all supposed to be throw spaghetti and pizza in the air? Is that what we do? All right. Anyway, Kimmel goes on, and he says this. He says, it looks like he, meaning Joe Tacopina, holds meetings in the back office in the Bada Bing. Oh, Yo! Oh, listen, I like the Sopranos, too, but I like it because it's a stereotype oh. that I can look up from the outside looking in and laugh at it. Jimmy Kimmel can't do that. All right. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, I am about fed up now with this attorney from Florida who's trying to market himself on the East Coast. And you know what I'm talking about? John Morgan. It is insulting for me. Like, listen. John is a Philadelphia thing. Inside, it's an inside thing for us. The things we do here are inside things. People on the outside can't just come in and glom onto it. It's an insult. To this guy, I saw the billboard yesterday. His latest billboard is use injured Y-O-U-S-E. All right, we say use a lot in Philadelphia. First of all, you spelled it wrong. There's no E on use. That's yowls. It's Y-O-U-S if you're going to spell it phonetically, right? 
But this guy from Florida can't come in and rob John and rob Hughes. It's transparent and it's offensive to anybody who's a native of this thing. So I would think this loses business for the guy. The way Philadelphia people think, how dare you come in and grab our thing and use it for your benefit? You didn't know Philadelphia pedigree. Get the hell out of here. All right. That's number two. Uh, I, you know, I hate to do this to Villanova. We, I was in a discussion with some people last night. I was actually on a podcast uh, that Jesse Rendell, Ed Rendell's son, does. I like Jesse a lot. I've known him for a really long time. It's a fun podcast. Right? They got all kinds of sophisticated equipment, video equipment, the whole bit. Look at everybody. I talked to one of the guys. His name was Rock uh, on the show. Um, he was questioning whether Villanova is a Philadelphia school or not. Now, this is an age-old argument that people have here. Uh, Villanova, every bit, is a Philadelphia school. And, you know, it's funny about us. We will we will share a pedigree with somebody who comes from freaking New York who's in the Olympics. We make them ours. Oh, it's close enough to Philadelphia. But Villanova, which is a rather township, it's still Delaware County, we got, they're not a Philadelphia school. And it occurred to me why people think that. They're jealous. They're jealous and they're, because Villanova is elitist, and they look at it like you can't be an elitist school and be a Philadelphia school. And I always thought it was ridiculous. However, I understand because I feel the same way sometimes about the haughty Villanova campus and the pro, sports programs and all that, even though I'm, I'm good, really good friends with Jay Wright, and I like him a lot. Uh, but, and I, I've said in the past, boy, you know, you go over there and you watch a basketball game and you, you smell uh, old, old money cologne. When you go to a basketball game, right? That's my way of taking a shot at the, at the elite establishment. Um, so I got to be honest with you. Uh, I took great delight in Villanova losing in the NIT to uh, who did they even lose to? I mean, what a horrible year. Not only did they knock it in the NCAA tournament, they lose in the first round of the NIT with their two best players sitting out because they're protecting their pro futures. And uh, after, oh, they lost to Liberty. Yeah, they lost the Liberty. So after the game, um, I was trying to uh, – this is my reaction to to them losing the Liberty. I went, Liberty, Liberty, Liberty! (laughs) That was was my (laughs) – that was was my reaction. I I apologize to all all you Villanova people uh about that all right so, by the way we talked earlier this week about that kennesaw state that made the tournament isn't liberty in that conference yes so whatever that is it's a like bob's state. conference yeah yeah kennesaw state so Villanova lost to a team that couldn't win that conference. yeah and That's uh bad. and there was again there wasn't a dry eye in the house yeah. in philadelphia <laughs> for Villanova losing in the nit i apologize for you scholarly Villanova people uh all right darren it's time for three questions you got them all right, here we go, Mike. Three questions for Mikey Miss. Last night, I don't know how many it is for me now, close to 40. I went to another Bruce Springsteen show, me and some pals. Our mutual friend Johnny Clark was with me last night. What is the best concert you have ever attended? Hmm, I, you know, I think you may have asked me this before. Um, but, uh, I, you know, they, they, I've seen Hall and Oates. And Doug Lambert was a big Hall of I've seen them probably about 10 times. Um, I've seen some recent concerts that were right up there. Like I saw uh, LCD Sound System, who you have no idea who it is. 
Uh, and they're spectacular in concert, right? But then I go back to like back in the day when I was in the new wave music, Tears for Fears at the Man Music Center was a classic concert. And then I can go back to the 70s where I saw all these rock concerts um, and at the Spectrum, and including the old classic band, uh, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. When I was a kid, and I told you they blew up their synthesizer, and that was after I, I, I took a hit of this, like, wax tube that was being passed around. I still, to this day, don't know what it is, but it was a hallucinogenic, and, and I thought, like, my mind was blown after they blew up their synthesizer. So I, I've had m- many different eras uh, of concerts. Uh, I, I saw the National uh, recently. You don't even know who the National is. They're spectacular in concerts. I know and, they are now. You played them all weekend uh, in Clearwater uh, for yeah, me. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> You know, I I'm uh, I can't really pinpoint why I enjoy con- all, all concerts kind of the same. Even like you know today, like I recently saw um, uh, um, thir- uh, Twenty One Pilots, uh, and, they, and that kid is fantastic at concert. He's a great performer. Uh, and, and I go back, I saw uh, Audio Slave, and I saw Incubus, uh, and I went to a couple Stain concerts when I was working at uh, at uh, WMMR, and so I was all over the rock scene for a really long time. So. Um, you know, there's a few that obviously stand out that I probably don't even think about that were that were outstanding. Uh, yeah, I've seen so many. All right, so we're going to stay with the concert theme for these three questions. So the second question I'll ask you, and it's kind of related, but it's a little different. You can only see one band for the rest of your life live. Only one. Which one are you picking? Right now? Or like at all time, right now, bands that are dead. Life, for the rest of your life, you can only see one band in concert. Well, if I go old school, I go Led Zeppelin, and uh, if I go newer school, I'll go Foo Fighters. Both would be wildly interesting to me. I've seen the Foo's; they put on a wild show. Uh, I've never seen um, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I haven't seen Led Zeppelin either. That's why I would want to see them. I never, okay. I never saw in the concert. My third question here. So if there's what's the one band, and it might be Zeppelin, but one band you've never seen live that it could be, they could all be dead. It could be Leonard Skinner. <laughs> what band would it be? You've never seen them before. Would love, and, and you could bring anybody back. Who would it be? Well, uh, I've never seen the Who in their heyday. Uh, so it would be a tie between Zeppelin and, and the Who because I was Jimmy Page freakazoid, and the way he played guitars is amazing to me. And and uh, Peter Townsend with the and and Daltrey with his microphone swinging. I mean, you know, living back in that era, uh, I never yeah. saw the Who or Led Zeppelin, so I would probably go with those two. I would probably join you with the Who as well. That's three questions. Concert edition for Mikey Miss. All righty. And that leads us to our final thoughts of the day. I actually have a couple final thoughts. Uh, one is I could use this for Mike Unleashed. I watched a commercial the other day. It's Danny DeVito's doing these commercials for Jersey Mike. And uh, in a commercial, he's saying that each sandwich is uh, personally sliced, which I, I find hard to believe. And somebody's going to have to email me and tell me that that's the case. I've been to a Jersey Mike's in an airport. I guarantee you they weren't pers- they personally uh, slicing the salami for each sandwich. You see places like that, they've got the ready-made cut cold cuts, and they're stacking it in because they got to get it out quick. So I, is Danny pull, pulling my leg with this? And uh, not only that, but the commercial, and I know why they do it in the commercial, because he's got the sandwich all assembled, and then they splash their special oil, oil water blend, vinegar blend, on top 
on top of the sandwich, on top of the tomato, where, where it just rolls off to the side. And that's not what they're doing. They're just splashing it on the, roll, on the roll so the roll can soak it up. Otherwise, it's all messy and it's not staying on the sandwich. So I, I, are they pulling a fast one on me on how they assemble the sandwiches, Darren? Uh, I, I, you know, I've never eaten at a Jersey Mike's. Um, but, yeah, I, it's, I, 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 I've been in them, though. And I don't remember seeing them slice the meat right there and throwing it on the sandwich. I, I got to be honest. I got to do a little back. investigation on that. If there's a Jersey Mike's employee out there listening, email me at mike at mikemiss.com because I want to get to the bottom of it. See, I can tackle all the important issues here on the Mike Missnelli podcast. So I got to hear from the people. All right. To close it out now, uh, I want to say uh, yesterday, uh, I had, this is a fun day for me yesterday. Uh, I uh, am always willing to read my book, The Adventures of Shima, the Shima, to, to any uh, kindergarten or elementary school class that asked me. I love doing it. I love going in reading the book to the kids. And I've done it a couple times now. And I was invited by, by a, a lady who was a teacher at the school who was at one of my previous book signings. And she, she, uh, she asked me if I would be interested in doing it. I said, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yesterday I went to the Greenberg Elementary School. It's in Northeast. It's like uh, on the border of Fox Chase. Um, I said it was in Fox Chase, and then people from the Northeast ripped me, saying, it's not Fox Chase. It's considered a public But whatever it is, it's up there in the Northeast. And it could have been a better time. I'm sitting, the kids were attentive. They were well-mannered. They were polite. So I want to thank the teacher, Mrs. Herbitz, who invited me out there. And her kids were tremendous. And as I'm reading the book, I'm explaining the concepts of growing up. And they're asking me questions about growing up. It was fabulous. I love those kids at the Greenberg School. So all the teachers out there, you're doing a great job with these kids. And uh, I had a great time. And since I was back up there in those, uh, in those environs, and I grew up kind of like north of that in, in Bristol, PA, which is the extension kind of northeast Philly. Uh, and so I got together uh, with a couple of my boys. At a cigar bar where we sipped some bourbon and had a midday cigar. It couldn't have been any better of a day. It was beautiful. And all these Bristol people that I haven't seen from, for years came out of the woodwork and, and came to the cigar bar. We're hanging out, smoking a cigar, sipping bourbon like gentlemen. It was fabulous. That's a good afternoon, man. That's my, <laughs> that's my kind of afternoon. I love when you do those readings. I really do. That's, I think it's a great. It's a great thing. To do. Yeah, this is so much fun, and I thank the people for inviting me. I loved it. Uh, all right, uh, so let's close it down. Thanks so much for listening today. Uh, again, you can get to me at mike at mikemiss dot com. Don't forget, Bet Rivers. This is a good time to get in. Oh man, there's so many good bargains. I bet a couple money line plays today. I want to mess with the point spread in these games. I look at a team that can't lose, or at least I don't think they can lose. Like I didn't bet Virginia, all right, and I didn't bet Arizona. But today I got to play on a team that I think will 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 slay, uh, and so I don't want to mess with the point spread. I just throw a bet in there. Sometimes I don't even watch the game because they get all cranked up about it. But Bet Rivers is the app you want to go to. Again, Mike at MikeMiss.com to get in touch with me. You want to go on Cameo, get a personal shout out. Just go to Cameo.com, type my name in there, and uh, I'll give you a personal shout out for a couple dollars. Um, and I guess that's about it. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the programming this week. We'll be back at you next week with updates on the NCAA tournament with the Sixers. Uh, I don't know if there's any more Eagle news except for C.J. Gardner-Johnson because he's the last thing remaining at this point, and I think he's essential, and I hope they can assign him. Uh, And anything else. Have a great weekend, everybody. Darren, have a great weekend. Uh, We will talk to you next week. This is Mikey Miss. I'm out. 
Listen to the entire Mike Missanelli podcast on Apple Podcasts or from your favorite podcast provider. Thanks for listening.